Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we are studying the Bible. We are working our way through the Gospel of John. Today is episode 145. We're looking at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Let's read the passage together. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew that Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. We're at a point in the gospel where things are shifting. Up to this point, Jesus has been remaining out of the limelight somewhat. He, he does things that bring a lot of attention, but then he withdraws. People want to make him king, he withdraws. People want to arrest him, he withdraws. And he's spoken roundabout ways, but, but now things are shifting. Now he is making this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, very public, very much indicating that he is the king of Israel and creating quite a stir among the people. This seems to be somewhat separated from the triumphal entry, although it immediately follows. It seems to be at some point later. It says, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Now the Greeks means they're not Jewish people. They are from the Greek culture. I mean, they're from Greece, but they're from the Greek culture. They're not Jewish. They have come to worship, but they have not made the full transformation to become Jewish, which involves circumcision. And so we refer to these as God-fearers, that is, people of the the Greek culture or non-Jewish culture who worship God. They believe in the God of the Israelites. They believe in Judaism, but they have not made all the steps necessary to become a Jew. And so they are there to worship. Now they can only go to the court of the Gentiles in the temple area, but they do. And they come to Philip. 
Philip from Bethsaida in Galilee. We saw Philip when Jesus was calling his disciples. And they asked him, they said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Implies they want to talk to Jesus. And the implication is they want to follow Jesus. They have heard about Jesus and they want to be his followers. Well, Philip apparently doesn't know what to do with this. So he goes to Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. Now, it doesn't say if the Greeks went with them or they went on their own to Jesus. So in verse 23, Jesus replied to them. It doesn't say who them is. Is it just Philip and Andrew, or is it Philip and Andrew and the Greeks? And it doesn't necessarily matter, but it's just a curious point. Now, we know there are others, because we'll see their response to some things in a few verses, but we know it's not just them. There are others there, other than Jesus' followers. I'd like to think the Greeks are with them. And so Jesus is speaking to the Greek people. He's speaking to the Jewish people who are nearby. He's speaking to his disciples. So them, I think, refers to all of them. And now there is this big change that takes place because always it was they couldn't lay hands on him because his hour had not yet come. They couldn't do anything because his hour has not yet come. Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. But here, so Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So the hour has come. What hour? The hour for him to die. This is what it's all been leading to. And by hour, he just means the time. He's not talking specifically 2 o'clock versus 3 o'clock, but we're in the time now for him to die. And he specifically says to be glorified. Now, in John's narrative, in John's thinking, this is the glorification of Jesus Christ. When he dies on the cross, that is his glorification. That's where he truly is displayed as who he is. Then verse 24, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this is again the amen, amen, I say to you. He says this whenever he's about to say something he really wants you to take note of. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Now, this is not a lesson on biology or on how seeds work, but this is just their common thinking. The, the seed, as long as it stays in the plant, doesn't do any good. It has to fall away from the plant and get buried in the ground. And to the casual observer, it looks like it died in that process. It then produces a new plant. So that's where Jesus says, if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world would keep it for eternal life. Now, this is the kind of language we see throughout the New Testament, that uh, this idea that if you are clinging to what you have, that's all you're going to get, but you have to be able to release it, let go of control over your life in order to experience life in Christ. In verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here he's talking this idea of unity, unity with him, unity with the Father. Now verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. That is why I came to this hour. Now this seems to be a, a hypothetical prayer. 
because he says, what should I say? But then he doesn't say it. The, the question here is, he's speaking about his death. And we'll see in a few minutes that people are, are getting this, or at least starting to. He said, my soul is troubled. Yes, he knows what he's about to go through. And so the question here is, should I ask the Father to save me from this hour? And that he answers it, but that's why I'm here. So the answer is obviously, no, I should not ask the Father to save me from this hour. This sounds very similar to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane later on. But here specifically he says, no, this is troubling. I'm not looking forward to this, but that's why I'm here. Then he gives an actual prayer. Father, glorify your name. Again, this sounds very similar to the Garden of Gethsemane. Thy thy will be done. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So what exactly he means? I believe he's, he's talking about that he has glorified his name through what Jesus has done in his ministry, and he will glorify him again at the cross. The crowd standing there heard it. There was this voice from heaven, and the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Then verse 30, Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. So similar to what Jesus said when he was at the, the tomb calling Lazarus out, his prayer, he says, I'm not praying this just for my own sake. I'm praying this so you guys can hear and hear what's, understand what's going on. So here he says this voice from heaven. That went for me. I know what the Father's doing. I know what the Father's saying. I know what the Father's thinking. But that was for you. Now, interesting thing here. He says, this voice was for you, but they didn't understand it. Not everybody says some thought it was thunder. Some thought it was a voice of an angel. John seems to have understood it because John's telling us about it. And is the the takeaway here that it's only those who know God through Christ can hear the word of God? Maybe. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Well, we know Satan's still around, Satan's still active, but Satan is defeated in what's going to happen on the cross. This is the judgment. Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. Satan then is defeated through the cross. He says, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now he uses this term lifted up. He's used this before several times to refer to being lifted up on a cross. And he says, I'll draw all people to myself. I think the best way to understand that is not everybody on earth, but all the peoples of the earth. That this is not just for the Jews. And that's part of the a curious inclusion of this, uh, this uh, story of the Greeks coming to him. Because the Greeks come and say they want to see Jesus, and Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. Then we don't hear the Greeks anymore. So why is that even here? And I think this all fits in together here, in that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so that when the Greeks come, this is people not from the Jewish background coming to Jesus, looking to be followers of Jesus. In verse 31 here, he's talking about the judgment of the world, the ruler of the world. I will draw all people, not just the Jews. So he is the savior of all, 
not just the Jews. Then verse 33, he said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. This lifting up is the language he's used to describe execution on the cross. Then verse 34, then the crowd replied to him, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. Let's pause there. Now by law, they're probably meaning more than just the five books of the law of Moses, but the whole Old Testament. And there's a few passages here and there in some of the prophets and Psalms that give this hint of uh, the Messiah being forever. So they're confused because they recognize he's talking about his death. So they say, we've heard from the law of the Messiah remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? We don't get this Son of Man thing. Who's the Son of Man? How does he relate to Messiah? The Messiah is going to come and be with us forever. We're saying the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. He's going to die. We don't understand. Oh, yes, they don't understand. So verse 35, Jesus answered. He doesn't answer their question, though. The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. That's the last we see of the crowd, really, until they're calling for the crucifixion of Jesus to Pilate. So they ask, we don't understand this Messiah, Son of Man, who does what here? How does this all work? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. But the point here he's making is, act while you have the chance. He's going to be with them but a few days, and then he's going to be gone. And so his challenge to them is, act while you have the chance. And that's always the takeaway. There's never promised a, a time in the future where you can get right with God. Some people say, well, I'll just live like I want to live. Then I'll make a deathbed confession and uh, accept Jesus as my Savior. Well, I, I don't think a confession like that is sincere because they're just looking for the fire insurance. They're not looking to have a, a relationship with God. They're just saying, I just don't want to go to hell. Well, who does? And if you really believe there was a hell, you really believe you were bound for hell, you wouldn't put it off because you know there is no time to put it off. So that's uh, the big takeaway here. Act while you're in, while you have the light to act by because the light won't be available forever. And so for any of us, we don't know how much time we've got. We don't know that we're not promised another day to get right with God and the world. We're not promised another day. Jesus could return at any time. And they told to be ready for it. Expect it like a thief in the night. When it comes, we're all going to say, wow, didn't see that coming. And there is never a promise of a future to act. And so the, the challenge is to make sure that you have acted. You have received Christ as your Savior. And those around you, you don't put it off. Make sure that everyone understands the, the necessity of acting now. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through the Gospel of John.